Charette, and this is Holding the Light. As long as you love, I will whisper in your ear, little whispers you will hear. As long as you love. If you tuned into our most recent podcast, you had the opportunity to meet Amanda Gray, who bravely shared the loss of her younger brother, Chris, to suicide. This week, we are joined by Amanda's mom, Kathy Langless, who says, the only thing that comes close to the pain of hearing about the loss of her only son was having to tell her only daughter. In this personal interview, Kathy reflects upon the last seven years without Christopher, the changes she's made in her life, and the bond she now has with her daughter. We're honored to share their story. Today, Colby and I are holding the light with Kathy Langless. We are joined this week by Kathy Langless, who became aware of our podcast in such a unique way. I have to tell the story, because after her daughter Amanda was a guest on our show, she shared her experience of sibling loss after her brother Christopher died by suicide seven years ago. And in that conversation, we talked about how very different parents and siblings grieve. And I think Amanda actually suggested it might be interesting for listeners to hear her mother's perspective. So here you are. Thanks for being with us, Kathy. You're welcome. I know this conversation is difficult, as talking about the death of your child is still very fresh, no matter how long it has been. Chris died by suicide, which we know makes grief very complicated for families. And Amanda talked about when she got the news from you. Maybe you could start by bringing us back and sharing what that was like for you and also how you found the courage to tell your only child, your other child, excuse me, that she had lost her only sibling. Well, around 5 a.m., the doorbell rang and there was a minister holding a book. It looked like a minister and a policeman informing us that we needed to contact somebody in Galveston, Tennessee, about our son's death, which we did call down there. And we reached one of the policemen down there had also lost his sibling to suicide. So he was amazing to talk to. So following that, we knew we had to make sure we told Amanda first above anyone else. Sure. We got our neighbors to drive us up to Bangor, and we picked up Amanda's husband, Victor, and we drove to Amanda, or we were driven to Amanda's house, and she saw Victor, myself, and my husband at the time come up the stairs, and she just looked at us, and she knew, and she just started um, heaving and heaving, and she said, is it Chris? Is it Chris? And we had to say yes, and Worst experience of my life was having to tell my daughter that her best friend. It must have been so difficult for you, first of all, to hear the news. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah. Yeah. We all know we know what that feels like. I mean, it's different for everyone, but I think we all, Colby and I, can relate to, to that feeling of um, hopelessness. Mm-hmm. And then worse than that, Lenny and I were driven back home by our, our neighbor mm-hmm. and leaving Amanda. Mm-hmm. After just putting that bombshell out there, it was extremely difficult. I can't imagine. Plus, you are thinking about all the logistics of getting to Tennessee. 
Correct. Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, the wife of the gentleman that drove us up there and back was already looking for flights for us. And they drove us to the airport. And we got most of the way there, but there was a snowstorm. This is February, actually, you know, so there was a huge snowstorm. We couldn't get the rest of the way. We were sleeping on marble benches, which were extremely cold in the airport. And then I contacted my sister, who also lived in Nashville, and she and her son, Chris's cousin, drove up to get us from the airport and drove us home. And then came visit with the funeral home and trying to understand what happened she wanted to know if I wanted to identify Chris and neither Lenny and I wanted to do that we didn't want that as our last image of her son he loved tattoos I had pictures of his tattoos so the woman from the funeral home went and did the identification from us and some people might think that's odd but I just couldn't I just couldn't go there. I don't, I don't think anything is odd in this situation. I think you have to do what you're able to do. Right. So from there, we, we stayed at my sister's house, and we talked to a lot of his friends. Chris had been in Tennessee for several years working for IDEX out of Portland, and he was a pretty charismatic person. I mean, if you if you knew Chris, if you met Chris, you had a friend for life in him. And uh, we talked to a bunch of his friends that wanted to have a dinner in honor of Chris that Lenny and I went to. And we met a lot of his friends and they wanted to hold a funeral in Tennessee for him. So the first thing that we did was we met with Father Edward Steiner. It was Molly, Lenny and I that met with him. And the first thing he said to us was, it's important for you that what you gained by having Chris in your life outweighs the loss of Chris. You have to think of it as the gift that you had for over two decades. Easier said than done at that moment, I'm sure. Easier said than done. But it was really, it really put a spin on it for me. So that when we did hold a funeral, Molly and I both spoke, but we spoke in positive reflections of Chris, not how he died, not that he died, but just what we gained from having him in our life. There were 200 people there by word of mouth, which was astounding to me. He obviously touched many lives wherever he lived. He did. And then they had a little reception afterwards, and uh, we met a lot of the people that he worked with there. Surprisingly enough, there was a woman from Winslow, Maine. Oh, wow. That was there made it to the funeral, and uh, she reached out to us as well. She had known Chris through the school system. So that was our first couple of days. Uh, that's... Yeah, and, and knowing Amanda's home, I mean, with her kids and her husband, it was, I don't know if she would have wanted to be there. I imagine she might have, but um, yeah. And Chris was planning to get married, correct, in April of that same year? Chris was engaged to Molly. They had two puppies. <laughs> They called them their children. They had two French bulldogs. They had just bought a house. He lived a half a mile from his favorite golf course. Yeah, we knew he was a big golfer. <laughs> he was a big golfer. My dad first gave him lessons at two years old. I still have pictures of that. And Amanda described Chris as living a seemingly perfect life. Would you say the same about him? You know, she's right there. You know, we never suspected anything. We never 
suspected or had any hint of a depression. He was always happy. He was always helping. He was always throwing Amanda over his shoulder to her chagrin. Yeah, he was he was amazing. The number just by the number of friends that he has, close close friends. It's he was a, a great man. I'm sure, like many parents and siblings, you have experienced the what ifs. Do you carry Do you carry guilt about his passing at all? I don't, and that's because I never knew at that time that he ever had the thought of suicide in his mind. I never knew that, and so at that time. I, I had no no knowledge of it. Yeah, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that because that probably helps in your healing. Right. What was it like to move his belongings? I think about that a lot because Cassidy passed when she was 17 and was living at home, and we have not mm-hmm. moved many of the things that still remain in her bedroom. And your son was living in another state. What yes. was that like? Well, um, we didn't move out of the house right away. We had to make several trips to Nashville so that we could start the probate process. And I was the one that went through that. And then we were given the time that we needed to go in and take out his personal belonging. We had two big moving vans, one that was going to go to Maine and one that was going to go back home with Molly, his fiance. And she lived down further south than Nashville. So her parents came up and helped her pack her belongings. And then we packed up Chris's and brought them home. That must have been so difficult for you. It was, but he had a lot of things that were special to him that we wanted to make sure we got. Of course. As I said, my son was taught by my my dad at two years old how to swing a golf club. And I took pictures of that from my dad's home from the driveway. And it was just across the street, there's a big field. And so I have pictures of my dad and Chris. And my dad also took one of his old, old wooden golf clubs, and he cut it down to the size that a two-year-old could manage to hit a ball with. And Chris always wanted to have that club put into a shadow box, which we had just done that very Christmas, and it was down there. So it was important things like that that we wanted to bring home. We brought his clothes home, thinking that, you know, we could share them with others, people that were, you know, needed clothing. He was always like, I think Amanda mentioned it as metrosexual or something like that. I don't know, but it was some word that he was always dressed to the to the hill. He had style. You know? <laughs> yeah, he had style. He did. And he had the most awesome aftershave. <laughs> which I now have both bottles on my on my dresser. And every once in a while, I'll open up one and I'll just spray a little and go right back to his hugs. His uh, hugs were amazing. He would envelop you with his hugs. He didn't just hug. He just enveloped you. And you knew how special a person he was. I love that. I do love that. And I can relate to that. Cassidy's Body sprays are still in her bedroom, and I say to my friends, when I need courage, I go in and I spray it on me, and I call it my courage spray when I need to do something to bring Cassidy with me. So, I love that. So did you coordinate services then in both states? No, the one in, in Tennessee, when we talked to Father Steiner, I am not sure really who started the word of mouth about the, the service that we were having down there. And it was by word of mouth. So it was shocking to us to see the number of people that turned out and the number of people that came to the reception. 
It was amazing. And as he said, and we listened, talk about what you gained by having Chris in your life and not by what you lost. So there was no hint of loss from Molly or I. We were the only two that spoke at, at the Mass, which was incredibly packed. I think that's great advice that you received. Yeah. And I still chat with Father Steiner on email every once in a oh, not email, on Facebook every once in a while. And he still remembers who I am, and we talk about what I learned from him and not. Because he has moved on to another state. Mm. Yeah. And do you still have a relationship with Molly? We try. Um, at first, our friends held a fundraiser for us because we had so many expenses flying back and forth, mm. back and forth, back and forth. And they did a fundraiser. Within 24 hours, they had raised $20,000. Wow. So we gave Molly a check for half of it to help her get back home to Mississippi and anything she might need to start out again. We do still, every once in a while, she'll answer a text message from me, but not a lot. No, we don't hear from her much at all. Hmm. That must be hard, too. It is. I mean, maybe Mm -hmm. once a year, Mm -hmm. she'll answer a text from me. Yeah, it's like a signal that people have moved on. That's hard for families. Yes. Mm -hmm. I would never want her not to move on. Right. But it would be nice to communicate with her once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. How did Chris's passing affect your own family unit? Your marriage, your, you know, your family unit that was intact before. It had a, a huge effect on me because I was not happy in my marriage. I'm sure there were some people too that just didn't, they conflated the two things, the the passing of your son with um, you choosing to end your marriage. Did that frustrate you ever? Or did you run into that at all? Actually not. Oh, good. We have a lot of friends still in common. I mean, we had a an amazing group of friends and they're still friendly with with Lenny and they're still friendly with me so we didn't lose anything and they're probably both better parents for Amanda now I believe that is true yes that's important and we still do things together holidays we all cook the meals and bring them over to Amanda's and Lenny will be there Christmas you know we share yeah you have the grandkids that will always keep you connected Mm -hmm. yes and they love their papa Yeah. And so speaking about Amanda, during our conversation, one of the things her and I had talked about was um, an initial fear and worry for our parents um, about how they were handling their grief and um, making sure that they were doing it in healthy ways. Now, I was still in high school at the time. So that is, you know, for a young man can be fraught with so many perilous endeavors when with regards to mental health, you know, you could go down a route of alcohol and drugs, or you could just, you know, seep into your own depression and start failing classes, things like that. And my mom was terrified that that could be one of the ways in which my grief would manifest. And and those would be the actions I take. When Amanda had lost Chris, she was much older and in a much more mature position with a long, steady relationship. Were those fears still things that you experienced about her and her grief? Uh, Were you worried that she might not receive the proper health or Um, healing that would be necessary for that type of loss? You know, I never did. One of the first things that Amanda and Vic did was they moved down to Winslow, where I live, and they live one mile from me. And the second thing that they did, one of the local agencies um, did grief sessions with young kids, with the younger, younger kids. And I think that really helped her a lot. She did that several years, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she had mentioned that during the podcast as one of the ways that um, she was finding herself healing and, and finding ways to uh, promote 
and, and carry with her some of Chris's um, passions and his light and his spirit. Definitely. Is there anything that really helped you that you could share with listeners? I mean, did you participate in counseling or support groups or did you find other ways? I went to a counselor once for an hour and she listened to me talk and she said to me, she said, you're doing everything right. I don't feel that I think I feel that you're on the right path and I don't have any suggestions for you to make changes because everything you've told me is positive for where you're going and how you're living. So that was interesting. It was a nice long chat and it was it was nice for me to get some positive feedback for how I was doing because you never know how you're doing. And you said that was pretty early on. Uh, no, it, that was probably two years afterwards. Okay. Yeah. And so it's been a number of years since even then, have you felt that, um, you've wavered from that path at all in terms of your healing? Cause certainly in that time frame, that healthcare professional thought that you were approaching this in a healthy manner. Have, have your thoughts on that changed at all? Or have you really uh, remain steadfast to your mentality uh, and in your healing? I have remained steadfast. One of the things that I learned is that you don't stop talking about your child. You know, I worked at Colby for 25 years, and a lot of my coworkers and people on the campus lost their children either to suicide or to an accident. And I would be right there helping them uh, trying to help them understand that the way, he, the method that he died is not how you need to remember him. You have to remember, as Edward Steiner told me, what you gained by having him and not by the loss. I have written so many condolence cards that I've run out of room on the front, the side, the back, just trying to, to help them. In case there's one thing that I wrote in there that would, that would hit them and uh, just help them move forward. It's not easy, but I think it's good to hear from somebody who's been there, done that, survived that. I can talk about Chris and laugh. I can talk about Chris and cry. doesn't matter. I just talk about Chris a lot. But yeah, I I try to help in that aspect for anybody that I I know that has suffered the same loss. Yeah, because I've noticed uh, for adults especially that it can be sometimes easier to just not mention your child uh, after you've lost them because it shields you a little bit from that grief. But it also, you know, kind of shields you from the ability to celebrate the aspects uh, of them when they were alive and, and all the great memories that you might have had. So it's great that that has been a part of your healing is continuing to share your experiences with Chris and continue to express your love for him. Yes, definitely. Amanda also shared the wonderful connection that you have with Camp Keita and your support of other families that are experiencing loss to suicide. And how has that helped you? The first year that we did... Um, the golf tournament for Chris, I think the first two years. We donated the money to the National Suicide Prevention, but we didn't know what was happening with that money. We didn't know where it was going, how it was being used. And Amanda came across Camp Kita, and we have people that we know now that have sent their, ch- their child to Camp Kita or their children, and they can go year after year. It's, it's an amazing, healing week of camp. You're outside, you're with people that have been, you're with kids that have had the same loss through suicide. You're swimming, you're doing whatever you do at camp and you make things and play around and learn from others. But they have, they have help there. They have, you know, if somebody needs to talk to 
somebody about what's going on. They have the right people there. And the kids that run it, their dad died by suicide. And they were never allowed to talk about it. And it's more healthy to talk about it and to leave it all inside. And, and I, I would imagine that, that it helps with the stigma surrounding suicide. Do you openly share with people about how Chris passed? I openly share that he died by suicide, yes. I do not give any other information about it. They don't need to know. It doesn't make it better or worse. He died by suicide. Exactly. It doesn't matter how your child passed. Your child is no longer living. And it's a burden to live with the rest of your life. It really doesn't matter. It's more about how they live their life. One of the hardest things that we had to do when we got home from telling Amanda was walking across the street to our neighbors and their daughter, Heather, and Chris had gone to school together for, for since they were in kindergarten. And um, she had passed away by brain cancer on that day on a different year. And her parents always took that day off and they just worked around the house and they had their own way of getting through that day. So they saw Lenny and I walking over across the street and they thought, oh, isn't that nice? They're here, you know, to give us some encouragement and, and whatnot. And we had to tell them that Chris passed. And the look on their faces was just disbelief because they thought we were coming over there to encourage them. And we were going over there to give them mm. the worst news. But they have been incredible helping us in different ways about, you know, so important to have good friends, especially um, fellow grief families that understand. Right. What do you do on the anniversary, which I hate that word, but, you know, the day marking as his passing, what do you do on that day? Well, I allow myself to cry. I usually spend it alone or with Amanda. Mm-hmm. But I allow myself to get out whatever feelings I need to get out. It's a difficult day, isn't it? I know. I, I, I find that the week up leading up to it sometimes is more difficult than the actual day. Yeah. Anticipation. But I know he wouldn't want me moping around and whatnot, so I pick myself up and move myself on. Yeah. Is there anything that's really helped you or still helps you in your grief that you could share with us? I think it's important that we talk about our kids in a positive light. Again, what Father Steiner said, what we gained by having him for all of those years, reaching out, as I said, to people that I know that have lost their child. I try to give back a lot to the community. I'm a -a Make-A-Wish grantor. Oh, I didn't know that. That's awesome. Uh, My grandson, Jojo, and this middle son, just had his wish. He was my 41st wish child. Wow, you've been doing this a while then. I have, yes. And my 42nd wish just got done. And my 43rd wish is upcoming. Unfortunately, it's for a 15-year-old boy who is going to lose one of his legs to cancer. He'll have a prosthetic. And if you could just listen to his voice, he is so cheerful. He's always helping out all the other patients. And his parents, they had us laughing. And we're talking about cancer and their son losing their leg. And But the humor really helps them. So I'm excited to work with him. Well, it sounds like your work with Make-A-Wish is really helping with your grief. It sounds like it's really filling your heart. It really does. I'm glad you found that. So we've learned a lot about Chris, both here and in our earlier conversation with Amanda. You really raised an amazing young man, Kathy. And we like to give our guests the opportunity to answer the question, how 
would you like us to remember, Christopher? If you met Chris, you had a friend for life. One of his good friends told me that when he came to Winslow High as a freshman, that it was really awkward. He was from another state. He didn't know anybody, and he was having a rough time. And Chris adopted him as his new brother and made sure that he got introduced to friends and sports and whatever needed, you know, he, he might need. And one day he convinced Matt to go to the hockey rink with him. Chris is a huge hockey player. So he got Matt on the on the ice, I think in boots, not skates. And he was by the net and Chris would go up and gently, you know, slide the puck all over to him. And then all these other people that were on the on the rink started slamming him with hockey bucks. And so Chris started checking everybody that was slamming his new friend. <laughs> and Matt just said, he just protected me. They were the greatest friends. And they keep in touch with us, which is, I think, amazing that his good friends have, have all kept in touch with us. And Chris has also been the subject of best man speeches. The last one, um, his good friend Ricky got married and his good friend Franz was the best man. And Franz started out crying that they had lost the third leg to their tripod. And he talked about Chris and what he meant to Ricky and himself. And it was really wonderful. It was beautiful. Those things are hard. So I congratulate you for going. Yeah. And days later, somebody said, wow, best man speech was all around, all about Chris. Like, hello. (laughs) I mean, he wasn't the only topic, but that was hard to hear. Well, it's nice that he was present at the wedding, though. Oh, he was. He was there. In such a special way. And then the other guy, Franz, the the best man, I think his family's from Switzerland. And they have this, you only have certain names that you can use for your children. You can't buy off of that. Well, Franz wanted to name his son Keegan. He wanted to name him Keegan Christopher Overlocker. And he actually had to go through the family mentors or whatever, the higher-ups in the family, to get permission to do that. And he did. And so now we have Keaton Christopher Overlocker carrying on Chris's name. That's really special. Yeah. Every child loss experience, I think, is as unique as the relationship we have with our children. And I'm sure yours will bring peace to grieving hearts. And we want to thank you, Kathy, for holding light with us. Well, thank you for allowing me to do so. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast helpful, please share our link with others and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. I'm Monica Charette, reminding you that you are never alone in your grief. Until next time, we'll be right here with you, holding the light. As long as you love. you love